chapter 27. This is how the book ends of Leviticus. It is important to note, though, that the next, the books will, the first book, Bereshit Elohim Bera, in the beginning, God created. Then the next four books will start with the word Veh, which means and. See, the book wasn't intended to be broken up so far that we think that they're so unique from each other that they're their own islands. Uh, understand that every book is to follow the last. But this is how this particular book, as we know it, the chapter concludes, if you will. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When a man consecrates by a, by a vow of certain persons to the Lord according to your valuation, if your valuation is of a male, 20 years old to 60, then your valuation shall be 50 shekels. How many here are men between the ages of 20 and 60? Raise your hand. Okay, um, that concerned me. There were, okay, anyway. <laughs> your valuation is 50 shekels of silver. A shekel, by the way, for what it's worth, is about a month's salary. Think that through. Yeah, that's a lot of work. Now, if it's a female, verse 4, if your valuation is 30. How, okay, females, 20 to 60, raise your hand. Wow, that's overwhelming. There you go. That's 30 shekels. People will listen to this on the radio and go, I'm going to go to that church. I heard a lot of hands go up. Anyway, sorry. That's not why we're here. If from 5 years old to 20, how many of you are between 5 and 20? Okay, that's, see, there you go. Your valuation for a male is 20, for females, 10. How many of you are one month old to five years old? <laughs> I'm not talking about mentally here. I'm talking about... There is, is there? Oh, there is. See, look at that. Raise your hand, sweetheart. There you go. For the male, it shall be, we get it here, five. For the gals, it shall be three. How about 60 years old and over? Woo-hoo! Woo-hoo! <laughs> We change Shirley here just to make sure we have at least one person that's over 30 in our fellowship. If it's a male, your valuation is 15 for female, 10, and you're probably at, your ladies are probably thinking, what? Come on now. Come on now. If you're too poor to pay your valuation, then he shall present himself before the priest, and the priest shall set a value for him according to the ability of him who vowed. The priest shall value him. Now, what about an animal? If it's an animal that men may bring as an offering to the Lord, all that anyone gives to the Lord shall be holy. He shall not substitute it or exchange it, good for bad, bad for good. If he at all exchanges animal for animal, well, you want to try to trade one for the other? God says, I'll take both. Then both, the one exchanged, then it shall be holy. If it is an unclean animal, which they do not offer as a sacrifice to the Lord, then they shall present the animal before the priest. The priest will set a value for it, whether it's good or bad. As you, the priest, value it, and so it shall be. But if he wants at all to redeem it, well, and there's our word redeem now, then you must add one-fifth to your valuation. Now, what about your house? When a man dedicates his house to be holy to the Lord, then the priest shall, be, shall set a value for it, whether it is good or bad. As the priest values it, so shall it stand. If he who dedicates it wants to redeem his house, there's that word again, then he shall add one-fifth of the money of your valuation to it, and it shall be his. Well, what about your fields? If a man dedicates to the Lord a part of the field of his possession, then your valuation shall be according to the seed for it. Homer of barley, seed shall be valued at 50 shekels of silver. The same as man between 20 and 60. So guys, we're worth a barrel of seed. If he dedicates his field from the year of Jubilee, do you remember that's when all the bets are off, so to speak, all debts are cleared? According to your valuation, it shall stand. But if he dedicates his field after the Jubilee, well, then you prorate it. Then the priest shall reckon to him the money due according to the years that remain till the year of Jubilee, and it shall be deducted from your valuation. If he who dedicates the field ever wishes to redeem it, well, then he must add one-fifth of the money to your valuation, and it shall belong to him. But if he does not want to redeem the field, or he has sold the field to another man, it shall not be redeemed anymore. But if the field, when it is released in the Jubilee, shall be holy to the Lord as a devoted field, it shall be as a possession of the priest. And if a man dedicates to the field, to the Lord, a field which he has bought, which is not the field of his possession, it's always nice to dedicate someone else's field, isn't it? 
Then the priest shall reckon to him worth your valuation up to the year of Jubilee. And he shall give your valuation on the day as holy offering to the Lord. Now, they understand the idea. Remember, when you bought someone's property, you could only own it until the year of Jubilee. Then you had to give it back. So if you bought it, it was never really yours. It's important to note that, those of us who are pursuing land of any sort, you'll have it, but you're not going to have it forever. So you value it in regards to that. In the year of Jubilee, the field shall return to him of whom it was bought, or from whom it was bought, to the one who owned the land as a possession. And your valuation shall be according to the shekel of the sanctuary, 20 geras to a shekel. Which, of course, I know the moment you heard shekel, you thought, duh, that's 20 geras. I know that, because you guys are Calvary... North Londoners. But the firstborn of the animals, last thing, what about those things dedicated? The firstborn of the animals, that was already the Lord's. So you should, which was the Lord's firstborn, no man shall dedicate, whether it's an ox or a sheep, it's already the Lord's. If it's an unclean animal, then he shall redeem it according to your valuation and add a fifth to it. If it's not redeemed, it should be sold according to your valuation. Nevertheless, no devoted thing that a man may devote to the Lord of all that he has, both man and beast, or field of his possession, shall be sold or redeemed. Every devoted offering is most holy to the Lord. No, no person under the ban may become, sorry, who may become doomed to destruction among men shall be redeemed, but shall surely be put to death. Does that make your eyebrows furrow? Good. And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. If a man wants it all to redeem any of his tithes, he'll add a fifth to it. Concerning the tithe of the herd or the flock, whatever passes under the rod, the tenth one shall be holy to the Lord. He shall not inquire whether it is good or bad, nor shall he exchange it. If he exchanges it, well then both it and the one exchanged shall be, because for it shall be holy, it shall not be redeemed. These are the commandments which the Lord commanded Moses for the children of Israel on Mount Sinai. And thus concludes the book. And you're probably thinking, what the heck, right? Good. I don't want you just to smile and nod and go, yeah, I got it, when you don't. You know, Jesus' disciples did that. Right? Jesus tells, I love this, seven parables in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13. And as he tells them, he goes, the sower went to sow some seed, it falls on four different soil types. Let me tell you about another one. The sower goes to sow some seed, but as he does, the enemy sows bad um, seed in it. And he goes from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. And then he looks, in the, and you can just see, finally, someone goes, <clears throat> I didn't get the first one. And Jesus is like, alright, let's, let's start explaining. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Because it's one thing for us to kind of go, I get it. And it's another thing for it to fall upon our hearts and minds the way the Lord intended. Pray with me, would you please? Lord God, you are so, so good. I thank you for the blessing today of being able to open your word and expect you to speak. By the power of your word that is living and sharper than a double-edged sword, able to divide joints and marrow, soul and spirit, discerning the very intents and thoughts of our heart, your word is to work now through the power of your Holy Spirit in us to confirm within us your truth that we would know you better and love you more. So Lord, for this time, Lord, let it be time extremely well spent. Redeem every second. May we have so much fun in your word and may we get it today. May we get it. Lord, please, today, don't leave us alone. Immerse me in your spirit and come upon me in such a way, Lord, that you would use me beyond my humanity. And that every one of us, that you would speak to every one of us as you speak fluent us today. Speak to every one of us right where we're at. That you would personally address what we need addressed in this time. And for the people in this room, Lord, and within the sound of this voice, you know how to reach to minister, to equip, to transform, to change, to challenge, to warn, and to save. So do it, Lord, we pray. In this chapter now, may I burst open and come alive. Color in the black and white for us, I pray. And minister, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I would say today as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true. Because I said so, search the scriptures, let the Bible always have the final say. Now, for what it's worth, quick review. Exodus chapter 40 verse 17 tells us on the first month, on the second year, on the first day of the month, the tabernacle was raised up. 
It was then that God begins to speak at the beginning of this book. In Numbers chapter 1, verse 1, which we will be next week, God willing, it says that the Lord spoke to Moses from the tabernacle of meeting on the first day of the second month of the second year. First day, second month. The other one, first day, first month. So this was a month long in the book of Leviticus. The book of Exodus ended. The next book will start. And in between is the book of Leviticus. And there's a month in between. We get a month reference to this. The whole point of this book is God starts to set his people apart. He has already removed them from Egypt, and now he wants to remove Egypt from them. And we use the acronym HOLY as God starts to lay out these orders. Now understand, God did not put these orders upon the people in Egypt. We could do that. You look at an unbeliever and say, you need to do this and this and this and this and this. You know what they need to do? They need to come to Jesus. That's what they need to do. They need to accept the gift of Jesus Christ. Because you can't live, not like an Egyptian, in Egypt. And God wants you out. And once God gets you out of Egypt, he starts saying, now listen, I have a plan for your life. First of all, I want to start shaving and carving and chiseling off of you the Egypt that you've crudded over yourself for the last 400 years. But see, understand, sooner or later, I'm going to reinsert you into another community. And I want you to be protected from that community's faults too. I've set you free from the previous traps. There are traps in front of you too. And I'm going to lay out some ground rules so you don't find yourself trapped by either. The problem is, if you've been in Egypt any period of time like I have before I gave my life to Christ, I've built some really good, not good, but really serious patterns that were so first nature for me. When God starts saying certain things, I kind of look and go, I'm not really sure about that. Now, not because I don't think it's right, just my body doesn't stand up and applaud it. Because it doesn't want to. Of course it doesn't. And so God starts saying, look it, there is a different world for you out there and it's not the one you came from and it's not the one I'm putting you into. Somewhere in between that is the book of Leviticus. And we use the acronym HOLY. When God lays things out, four basic things again, if you remember, the H stood for health benefits. God starts telling you, like, for instance, why don't we eat this? And why do we eat this? Sometimes we don't understand. Well, understand, science still hasn't figured everything out. Hey, when I went to school, I think the earth was 100 million years old, or I was told. Now I think it's like 6 billion years old. I didn't go to school that long ago. They're still figuring out. They tell you the universe is expanding. What does that mean? That they haven't gotten to the end of it. So they say, this is the end. Oh no, it's this is the end. Well, why is that? Because they, well, because they haven't discovered it. And, but what they'll say is, well, it's just expanding. No, you just haven't gotten to the end, Junior. That's the point. Now, I'm not trying to pick on science. The point is that just because we don't understand something doesn't mean that God doesn't know what he's talking about. God's the one who made you. He invented you. He knows what's up. And with that, please understand, God will tell us, this is something that I understand, and we understand some of that stuff. For instance, when people roasted meat, for instance, it was still relatively raw when they ate it. Doesn't work so well for pork. I don't recommend pork tartar. Bad idea. You know what they do with pork tartar? They put it into syringes and inject it in your face. That's called Botox, by the way. The O of holy is obedience. Because God really wants us to display obedience even when we don't get it. And there are times the Lord will say, do this. And then he just says, I'm the Lord. Like a parent that says, do this. And the parent says, why? And they say, because I'm your dad. I can explain it all to you, but by that point, you won't have time to obey. The L of holy was to leave the world you came from. And I want to remove it. And the Y was to yearn for only him in the new world that he put you in. And as it is the case, he begins. Leviticus chapters 1 through 7, he walks us through five basic sacrifices, which will be the foundation for the sacrificial system for the rest of the book. Not just the Leviticus, but the book all the way through to, to Revelation. Those are, by the way, the burnt, the grain, and then the peace, and then the sin, and then the transgression or the trespass offering. There'll be others, but those are our five big boys. And for the first seven chapters, he lays that out. From 9 to 10, or sorry, nine, or 8, 9, and 10 at that point, then he starts to lay out the priesthood. He starts to employ and engage the priests into action. And even there, profane fire is offered, and two of the boys die. Chapters 11 through 16, God moves us from then a fried group of priests 
And what happens when God says, I must be viewed as holy to the necessity for being clean. As a matter of fact, the term clean will be used 44 times in chapters 11 through 16 of the 99 times in all of scripture. In other words, 45% of the times in all of the Bible, the word clean is used is in those chapters. The word unclean, even more so for what it's worth, the the word unclean, I believe it's 94 times out of 167 in all of scripture will be in those chapters. And by the time you get it, you get, there's more unclean than clean. So you get the hunger to be clean. I want to get clean. I want to get clean. This is unclean and this is unclean. And whether that was, you know, the foods that were declared unclean in, in 11, 12 in regards to the fluids lost at childbirth, 13 and 14, the issue of leprosy, or 15 there of other bodily fluids. And God kind of knew something before science and other people did. And that is, by the way, that fluids carry diseases. Don't sneeze in somebody's eye. The fact that God has to tell you that kind of thing. That's the idea. And so by that, then we get to chapter 16. It's like, now let me tell you how you get made clean through atonement, through the washing of the blood. 17 through 23, we walk through our reference. Now, now that we've been atoned, we start moving to a life of feasting. And with that, he starts telling us we need to recognize the power of the blood in 17. Do we take seriously our curing? 18, take seriously our cleansing. 19, our caring for others. Chapter 21, take seriously our calling as God puts us into that. And then, of course, walks us into the feasts. And then takes us to the last area, 24 through 27, where we're at now. How to keep our light shining. Now, notice how that is. It was atonement, and then celebrating, and then letting our light shine. Did you see that order? And that's the way God is intended for every one of us. As we come to him at the cross of Jesus Christ, his blood washes us from all of our sin. That is the beginning. That's our atonement eternally. And then God says, well, now let's start you on that journey. The journey of you being fulfilled in me. Not looking elsewhere, but finding it in me. And that becomes the beauty here. Because I want your life to be one that celebrates. Not just parties. I have a friend who says, we party to forget, but we celebrate to remember. I have nothing left to forget. Nothing to run from. I keep forgetting things anyway, so that's all right. But God wants us to live a life that is so jubilant, not by circumstance, but by the reference of our location to Jesus, because we're saved in his. So that when all circumstances still seem to fall into the toilet around us, we can still celebrate the God who's redeemed us. Our life celebrates. But once that happens, listen, we go from atonement to the idea of celebration to the idea of now ministry, letting our light shine. And he's taught us in that, by the way, that there are going to be things that will challenge that. In chapter 24, the area was a provision, if you remember, as we talked about the bread of the testimony. In chapter 25, we talked about living our entire life in light of the Jubilee. The focus was that there is a coming day when all debts are going to be cleared and all that belongs to us will be rightly ours. And we hunger for that. Without that reference, we get very caught under the overpass. I'm sorry, over the overcast. Chapter 26, we saw the importance of obedience. As we remember, we talked about areas of if and then over 50 times. And then we get to this chapter to conclude it. And let's take a look at it in its simplest sense. He references in verses 1 through 8, people. 9 through 13, animals. 14 and 15, your house. 17 to 25, fields. And then in 26 to 33, devoted things. But you look and you go, now what is this whole thing about devoting people? Let me say it in the most basic sense. Commitment costs you. If there were two things, if you were the kind that we were just reading this and you're like, I don't know if I got a lot out of this, and then you just sort of check out because you're like, I don't get it all. I don't understand everything, so I'm not going to try to understand anything. Which, by the way, is criminal for us to do that with Scripture. Oh, thank you, Lord, for Billy and his orange juice. Uh, This is a gift from Camden. All right, now please hear me. If you got two things out of this chapter, in the most basic sense, here's the first of it. Commitment's going to cost you. If you're genuinely going to be committed, it's going to cost you. But let me say this. To back out of that commitment is going to cost you more. That's the point of the whole chapter. And whether that is all of these different areas, there is a price to pay for your commitment. But there's a bigger price to pay to back out of it. 
And that's, if God, and understand, this is the perfect bridge between Leviticus and Numbers. Because what we have in Numbers is a 40-year death march. We move now, now understand, the reason why people are sort of hesitant of the book of Leviticus is because it's very technical. This is how you do the sacrifices, this is how this is performed. That's reading a handbook. So it can be a bit dry in comparison. By the time we get to Numbers, the vast majority of it is, for the simple purpose of it, narrative again. We're back to the story that took place. We were like, meanwhile, back at the camp for a month, here's the handbook. Now let's watch them not do it. And understand, it's the perfect segue. Why is there a 40-year death march? Because listen, commitment costs you, but backing out of the commitment costs you more. And God's going to show you what it looks like when it costs you more. That's the point. And then I get the idea of why he even put it in this order. Because don't miss this. The way he started it was that about people. Because see, what God does then is he shows us what is going to challenge your commitment. And that's going to be your first. But please hear me. Throughout the entire book, and I'm talking about the Bible here, there is a challenge to commit. And I realize this is almost like I'm speaking gibberish in a culture that we live in. Because commitment is the last possible thing you want to do. Because we're learning how to be self-entitled. Consumers. And consumers don't commit. Consumers get served. Consumer, by virtue of it, the best consumer gives the least and gets the most. That's a smart shopper. You don't say, check it out, I could have bought this for three pounds, I spent 400. People look and go, you got issues. And that's the way we're raised. And then you go church shopping. You realize what that says? I want to go to the church where I can get the most and give the least. Because what you don't want to do is go back to your friends and say, check it out, I went to church and it was three hours long. And people go, are you kidding? Mine's 20 minutes. I gave very little. Did you give anything? Of course I didn't give anything. Did you get anything? I Yeah, they gave me a couple of little cool phrases and a bumper sticker. I'm perfect. I'm great now. Next week, we're going to have an ice cream social. Are you bringing the ice cream? No, that's their job. My job is to eat because consumers consume. Please hear me. It'll be Moses at the end of his life that he says, look, I set before you life and death. Choose. Commit now. Commit. Life or death. It's your choice now. I'd like to challenge you. Commit to life. Choose life that you and your, your family may live. And then he hands the baton to Joshua. And as he hands the baton to Joshua, Joshua gets him into the promised land. And Joshua says at the end of his life, if you remember, hey, judge for yourself what God you're going to serve. I've already made up my choice. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We have already committed. What about you? Commit. Then the nation gets in, gets comfortable, gets mamby-pamby in their faith, and God raises up Elijah. And what does Elijah say? You judge for yourself. If God is God, serve him. How long are you going to waver between two gods? Y'all play in the field. God doesn't want you to be a player. You play in the field. Choose your God today. And they did, unfortunately. Though they said the Lord, he's God, they clearly by lifestyle didn't choose him for long. They did not commit. And the nation would find themselves in captivity. And as they did... God brought them out, brought them back in, and brought Jesus. He says, whoever believes in me will never hunger. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. And it's in the present continuous tense. In other words, as long as you are coming, you won't be hungry. As long as you're coming and believing, you won't be thirsty. You're like, but I'm a Christian. Why am I thirsty? Because you're not trusting in the Lord like you should. You should be coming. But you're not. In other words, the moment you said yes to Jesus, Jesus made you a fountain. But you don't have to drink from your own, do you? You ever watch, it's like, you ever heard the expression, never trust a skinny cook? <laughs> but that's what we are most of the time. And even Shakespeare would say, never trust a cook who's never tasted, who doesn't lick his fingers, is the way he says it. And as Christians, often we can preach things that are very, very true, but we ourselves are starving from the same information. So please hear me. God wants us to commit. And he's looking for people that are willing to commit. But I'll be honest with you. I don't know about you. The only thing I'm good at committing to is destruction. I'm actually naturally gifted at committing to it. I don't know about you. 
And it tells us we were born children of destruction. That's what he tells us. We were born children of wrath. We are naturally gifted at it. But let me warn you, either side commitment is going to cost you. When David was going to supply everything, he wanted to build the temple, but God said, you can't, you're a man of blood. Blood's got to be mine, not yours, David. David says, well, then I'll just get everything. I'll gather it all. I'll make it easy for the person who's going to do it, which will wind up being his son. But as David goes to actually purchase the threshing floor, Aruna, I mean, the man looks at the king and he says, king, you're the king. You know, you can just take it, just take it. Come on, come on, just take it, it's yours. And David says, I will not give, and this is a loose paraphrase, but I love this expression, I will not give to God that which costs me nothing. And the question is, what has your Christianity cost you? So follow me on these areas, and we'll develop them as the text does. Because this is what's going to challenge you. And the first thing it goes to is people. Because you realize that's what's going to challenge your commitment. Hey, look at two, first most important commitment in life. Jesus Christ. Most important commitment. And the only reason is because someday you're going to die and all the other commitments are off. You are not going to be married eternally to someone else. Contrary to what some guys started over in New York and have their own book in their whole bit. Contrary to all of that, you're only married here on earth. And if you're not married, that's okay. The good news is when you're in heaven, you're already engaged to Jesus. So don't worry about it. Let the Lord do what he wants to do. But the most important commitment will be that to Jesus Christ. And as it is, that commitment's going to cost you. And Jesus made that clear. He says, look, you're going to have to pick up your cross and follow me. A cross is the thing of sacrifice. Backing out of that will be a greater, greater sacrifice. A greater price to pay. But we were first committed to destruction. And that cost us. It cost us friends. It cost us virtue. It cost us dignity. It cost us a lot of things. It cost us that horrible regret. But the price to get out of that, Jesus paid. That's the beauty. And because Jesus paid the greatest price, you could step out of the worst commitment. Isn't that beautiful? But whether that is your commitment to Jesus Christ, or let's just say your commitment to marriage. That will be your second greatest commitment. As that is the case, you will be challenged. And the first great challenge will be people. Because there is a commitment to actually have your heart in it, not just be legally wed. And when that commitment comes up, there will be people that will be, come on, man, seriously? And it isn't just a guy can't go out with another girl now that he's married. To be honest, he doesn't even go out as much with his boys anymore. Because his commitment's to his wife. Like it should be. But there will be people that will challenge that. And in this, let's face it, in this culture, when a guy sleeps off with other people, he gets applauded. It's all over the movies. Isn't that supposed to mimic life instead of dictate it? Pornography is rampant. And now, have you noticed that? I think it was in 13 different movies last year about somebody addicted to pornography, applauding the fact that he was into pornography. And we're not just talking about it was some side note part of the script. It was like a primary character that was part of his character. Or lack of. And when it comes to challenge, beloved, you are going to be challenged in regards to people. That is one of the reasons why church is so important. Because this should be the place where everyone here, at least those who come regularly, are committed to Jesus. So you get, a, oh yeah, they told you that. Oh, they told you you were stupid because you believe God created stuff. Don't worry, they're all going to agree with us someday. Sometimes it's just nice to hear it. What? You're 23 and still a virgin? And everyone thinks that you must have leprosy or AIDS? There's got to be some place that that could still be applauded. Yeah? I have a daughter who's committing. This was her choice. She doesn't want to kiss anyone until she's married. She gets applauded for that, of course, in our home. But that's her choice that she made. I'm thankful for it. I'm not, I'm not upset about that at all. How many people out there are going to say that? Oh, that's such a great idea. That's such a great... Really? You think that's going to happen? 
there could be churches where there will be the opposite response. Then we move to the second. The second is stuff. When the commitment happens, sooner or later, stuff's going to start to suffer. You're going to be challenged on it. We'll see it here with animals. That's your stuff. After that, what we're going to see then is your house. How is your house going to reflect that commitment to Jesus? How is that house going to reflect a married person? After the house, then it's business. The animals from that point were the animals that you bought and sold. How is your business going to be reflected by that commitment? And then finally, it's the things that already should be the Lord's. Are you willing to let them still be the Lord's because he expects them? And that's the areas we have in this chapter. Does that make sense? My prayer is that we would go to the Lord today, and but for the grace of him, we could try to pledge like Peter, I'm willing to die for you, and Jesus would be like, oh, bless your heart. Say, Lord, I want to want this. Give me the strength to commit like you want me to. So look at it with me as we develop just a bit. First area is in the area of people. So it says here, that if a man consecrates by a certain vow persons to the Lord, who in the world can I consecrate? Wouldn't it be just nice if you walked down the street and went, I consecrate you, I consecrate you, I consecrate you. Wouldn't that be nice? I mean, hey, this is Camden. You could probably do that and people wouldn't blink an eye. Although I've heard them say, several of the guys, and they said, you know, of all the people who have ever walked through here, you're the scariest person I've ever met. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to pray for you right now. No, 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 you're scaring me. Please understand what it means to dedicate something or consecrate something to God, first of all. What it means is, here's the simplest of it. God, this is yours for the using. That's it. How's that? This is yours for the using. When it comes to your stuff, God, this is yours for the using. When it comes to your house, God, this is yours for the using. Comes to your family, God, they're yours. They belong to you. My children have been dedicated to the Lord. And you know we do that here. When children are born here, because we don't baptize, because scripturally you're to repent and be baptized. I mean, the baby could say, I know I've been delivered from the bottle or whatever. But in the end of it all, there needs to be a repentance and a surrender to the Christ so that it is a public demonstration of what Jesus did. He buried you, the old you, and brought up a new you. I mean, if we actually gave testimony, if we baptize like people give testimony sometimes, we just take them down in the water and leave them until they drown. They're like, I used to be all these things and now I'm not anymore. I'm like, that's it? That's like, all right, just hold them until the bubbles stop. You mean that's right? But there's a raised newness of life. That's the point. Jesus has made us a brand new person. Praise God for that. And his intention is that. And so for children, we, since we don't baptize them, what we do do is we dedicate them. And of course, what we're really doing, like Hannah does, which is a classic example from Scripture, where Hannah says, God, if you give me a child, he'll be yours for the rest of his life. That's pretty dedicated, don't you think? That's a commitment. So what we do is we dedicate the family. Because as a, as a church family here, we want to be committed to praying for families. Praying, all right, God, come alongside this family to raise this child in your ways. That's the way it's intended. Now understand, Hannah did that. She dedicated that child to the Lord. Now, if you give a child to God and say, this child's yours for the using. But then you say, you know, the child can't live at, the, at the, the church or the temple, although they can serve in certain capacities, just not in the Levitical capacity. But then you're like, you know, I need him back for the farm. We're running a farm. I need my boy. He's still dedicated to the Lord. He can still be dedicated to the Lord and be home, but it's going to cost you. So the cost is here then. So why is it guys get more than girls? Why is it the 20 to 60 get the highest price? Because basically they're evaluating them by what they may have to offer the work field. That's the idea. And with all due respect, ladies, the idea is a guy should be able to carry more. Don't marry a guy you can beat up. He's supposed to protect you. You don't want to have to jump in and go, Desiree, I'll save you! Kind of ruins a biblical metaphor of him being Jesus, by the way, you know. So that's our whole first section. Our whole first section is, you know what, I wanted to dedicate my children, but understand as I dedicate, and you go, well, gosh, this sounds like a really get-rich-quick scheme for the church. Not if the church is responsible for helping that child be dedicated to the Lord. 
In the case of Samuel, Samuel was actually handed over and he actually served alongside Eli the priest. Mom, if you remember, brought a new robe every year for him so that that wasn't an expense to the church. Now, I'm sure you're aware of this, and I hate to even say stuff like this, but it is important to note, at least it's, it's in light of this, that everything costs money. I know that's probably not a brilliant statement to you. That includes, for instance, the, the pew you're sitting in. That includes everything that we basically have here. And it isn't like God just drops money out of the sky. But understand, scripturally, when Paul said, you set it aside, let it be a matter of your own heart, don't give grudgingly. God loves a hilarious giver. And don't give out a necessity. That was, those were the laws that God stand, set up in standard. Now understand, so when a guy actually says, if you don't give us a thousand pounds right now, we're going to get off the air. And you're just going to have to try to sleep with that tonight. God gives his beloved rest. My brother, who's my pastor, by the way, had heard one of these guys and he said, you know, he talked about this seed faith thing, drives him crazy. Me too. And the idea was, if you send the money in faith, God's going to give you a hundredfold. And then he was about to go off the air because he didn't have enough money. My brother said, if he really believed his own thing, why doesn't he mail me a check for a thousand? He'll get a hundred grand back in faith. He'll pay his bills. But we have a box in the back. We have a box in the back so you can give to the Lord. And by the way, you can ask anyone that's around here. The one person who doesn't know what we get and don't get is me. Because I want you to realize that I treat you nice whether you give or not. And if, I'm, if it looks like I'm treating you very nice, it isn't because I thought you gave something. The one thing I want you to give is yourself to Jesus. But please understand in that. The idea was simple. That's, that's to help people to get taken care of. That's the point of it. So in the first section of it, God says, look, I want you to take care of people. That's my first priority. It always will be. So you want to dedicate your kids? Well, there's an opportunity for them to still work at the house, but for that, there's a price to be paid. But in that, understand the church is then going to spend, or in this case, the temple, is going to spend some time trying then to develop that child in the ways of the Lord as well as the parents. It is never the church's job to teach the kids first. It should be the family's job. The church is then supposed to come and bring backup. It isn't like the church shows up and then calls for backup. The idea is, is that the family calls for backup. We should be supporting what you guys are already doing. And by the way, can I say, I love the fact I think we already are. I watch the families that come in here, and I am so thankful to know that it isn't like they're like, Bible, what's that? Now, there are those occasionally where the parents have never met Jesus, the child has never met Jesus, and what we found often is the child gets saved first and then keeps dragging their parents to church. Now, Jesus has already taught us in Matthew chapter 5, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Your commitment's fundamental. And the idea of it is the church, the world does not need to see us go back on our commitments. What's the one commitment that they're going to watch us go back and forth on more than any other? Do you think it's our relationship with God? How do they gauge that? By somebody who declared themselves Christian and now has an anti-Christian website? Do you really think that's what they're going to look at first and foremost? What is the most gaugeable commitment that's definitive on earth right now, as far as the unsaved world is convinced? Marriage. It's the one you can define. You know why? Because you can be married, and then technically you can be unmarried the next day. And so what the world is looking at to see what the Christian world is committed to or not is how we deal with marriage. Would that make sense? So be careful on that. Don't just be married technically. Commit. Commit to make it work. Commit to put your heart into it. And when people start to challenge that, Hey, if somebody stands against your marriage, they shouldn't be in your circle of friends. Can I just say that? I mean, it's like, man, be careful. If some guy's about to marry a girl and all of her friends hate him, cut the cord and run. Because there should be something. Look at, why would I want to hang out with people who hate my wife? Why would I want to do that? Why would you want to hang out with people that, that hate Jesus? That they would come to Jesus. And if they don't want to come to Jesus, they will run. I have experience in that. The second area then, notice 9 through 13, that is the area of, of animals. Or in this case, it's the stuff, that, the stuff we possess. And the idea is simple. If you want to give an animal to God, that's fine. You want to de- dedicate an animal, it's his. But what if you still need it? Well, then you can pay. And basically, what, what God tells us in this is anything you've committed to God and then you try to take back to your house. But in other words, remember, you're saying, this is for you to use, God. But they're like, oh, I need it to pull the plow. God says it's going to cost you 20%. That's the idea here. Now, do you think that's because what God wants to do is make more money? Or do you think it's because God wants you to take seriously your commitment? 
You don't understand, none of these commitments have to be done. It isn't like anybody's, you know, no one held a gun to them, or in that case, a bow and arrow to your head or something, and said, you know, commit to this. The point was, you did it because you felt like there was a good in your heart to commit. You know, those moments when you're actually in love with God and you want to give him everything? And God says, now look at That commitment's going to cost you. Now notice it says in verse 11, well, what about an unclean animal? Well, you can't sacrifice that. I think a clean animal, you can. Like an oxen, for instance, or, or a sheep, you can, you can, or a ram, you can offer that. But what about an unclean animal? You can't. He goes, so he says, now look at, in that case, look at, he gives you a value, you pay the value, or for that matter, then you can offer it if there's some other surface. For instance, if I wanted to dedicate to God my bat, or my ferret, or my lizard, or my pelican, or my snail, or my stork, or my tortoise, or my vulture, or my weasel, Oh God, I dedicate to you my weasel. That sounds kind of weird, doesn't it? But among the other unclean animals was a camel or a donkey. And those, on the other hand, make sense. Because camels and donkeys were both actually animals. For instance, donkeys were the engineers of the day. Are you aware of that? To this day, if you want to find the best way to go from the top of a hill down to the bottom of a hill, they build their roads by letting a donkey loose. And the donkey finds the safest way, and they build roads from that. As a matter of fact, the roads in Israel to this day in Jerusalem are the size of a donkey burdened that has to be that wide. So that's the way that they used it. They were the engineers of the day. So understand, even for the temple, that was a cool thought. So you're like, you know what? I have an extra donkey. I really don't need it. I want to give it to God. Let it, let, you know, and it's like, can you imagine like the temples being built and you just think, my donkey's up there right now helping it. There's something weird and strange about that. Have you ever thought that about giving up anything? I can tell you right now, there are places in Belize, for instance, Central America, where there was a time where probably half of the children within an entire community wore my clothes. <laughs> I, you know, I'd wait, I was like, there was people I'd give, I was, there's a time where I, like, I felt like every day I woke up, people were giving me clothing. I don't know what I was wearing that was so bad. But, uh, and with that, I was like, I have all this extra clothing. And we went down to Central America and I just gave it to all the kids. And they were like, I love this, I love this. And it was cool. Like, and all of a sudden I get a picture two years later. And it's like, here are all these kids now. And some of them have been raised up to youth leaders. And I look and I still look and I go, every one of them was still wearing my clothing. Now, as weird as that is, there's a part of you, that, you know what I mean? There's a part of you that goes, dang it, that's cool. Now, hey, let's say, it's not your clothing anymore. It isn't like I'm going to go back there and go, give me back that. I actually really like that shirt. Do you imagine how horrible that was? He's like, good, give me 20% more. But understand, there's something really cool about handing things over and knowing that the Lord's using them. And that should be everything in our life. Because all of a sudden, even the gifts and talents God's given you, the abilities he's given you, the moment you hand them over to him and he uses them for an eternal purpose, there's a part to sit back and go, dang it, this is just cool. Back in the States, um, as you're aware of, a lot of the songs we do here, most of them are original. And that's, you know, that's just the Lord. They belong to him. They always will. In the States, we went and we started our own record label. No world records. And the idea was quite simple. We wanted to produce non-copywritten Christian worship music. And the purpose was simple, so that you could use it at any given time you wanted to without having to ask anyone for permission. We didn't even say who wrote them because that's not even the point. So when you walk into another country like China and someone's going, oh, so hot, and you realize you're going, I think we wrote that. And you smile because it's an inside joke. And and then they ask, they're like, we don't know. We just heard this song and we love it, so we sing it. There's something really cool about that. Because somehow I just know that you're going to stand before God someday and God's going to go, that was was done right. Praise God he isn't going to list the things that were done wrong. Because we do have eternity, but I'd rather spend it on other things. It's like, look at your stuff. You can hand it over too. You can even hand over the stuff that really is not as exciting to some. What if you hand it over? Remember, the idea is simple. It's yours to use. That's it, right? What if you bake pies and you say, Lord, it's yours to use? What if you are a handyman and you say, Lord, it's yours to use? What if you can sing and you say, Lord, it's yours to use? Do you see what's happening? Is it not cool? It's like every week you blink, someone else is showing up there. And it's beautiful because people are stepping up and saying, Lord, it's yours to use. 
So you're smart, you're good with numbers, Lord, it's yours to use. What could happen with that? Lord, I just have a crazy wonderlust. It's yours to use. I know how to make pickles. That seems pretty unclean. And you know what's going to happen? See, the weirder it is, I found, the cooler it gets on a testimony. God has a testimony for every one of those things. And you know what's going to happen? Someday, and you may not get it here, but somewhere down the line, you're going to stand before heaven and God's going to roll film. And the guy's like, I was going to kill myself. And then someone gave me a pickle. And I said, God, if it's just anything. And it's like, oh, those pickles reminded me when I was a little boy. And I said, God, you are real. And I gave my life to Jesus that day. That was the most holy pickle that ever was. No, it's weird, cause, but I hear stories like that. Because it's somehow, you know, because all you did is you said, God, it's yours to use. I paint nails. I, ever, I can't tell you how many testimonies I've heard because someone's like, I paint nails. I want to use it for the Lord. Is that weird? I cut hair. God, it's yours to use. It's San Diego. And a pastor that's in San Diego wants to reach out to the homeless. And so he has this one day. And, it, it, and now it's, it's, by the way, they take these buses. And he's got like 25 buses. And they go around all the places where the homeless guys live. And they take them. And people go and they donate all of their clothing. And then all of these people come. And I kid you not, it's like these guys come and gals too. Because there's a good portion of them. San Diego's a little warm. It kind of breeds, you know, it's like people that are homeless. That's a smart place to go. Because it doesn't get like this. You know, it stays warm. And they come in, and they get these showers, and they get covered in lice soap and all kinds of great things for the first time for many of them. And then they get their hair cut and their beards trimmed. Girls get their nails painted, and they all get fresh clothes. And they walk out there, and they hear with every place, they hear about Jesus. And you thought, all I do is paint nails. If I could tell you the stories of the people who gave their life to Christ because someone paints nails. What is it you have to give? What's your stuff? What's your donkey? Your weasel? Your ferret? Because see, the cool thing is, you could be so busy looking at somebody else and saying, I don't do what they do. But if they're already doing it, maybe there's a slot somewhere else. What is it? If you just said, Lord, it's yours to use, what would happen? So we move then. Notice the third one becomes the house. Doesn't that make sense? I mean, if I'm going to actually make sure that people are going to be in line on this, my stuff's going to be in line, well, then your house is the next place to go. So let's take a look at your house. Now, the religious leaders had done it. They called the word korban. That means dedicated to. This is whenever a man dedicates kadash to his house, is holy to the Lord. Now the priest can set a value of it. He says, well, if it's yours to use, but I need to live in it still, well, then you can pay the price for it, but it's still dedicated to the Lord, but you're going to live in it. But if it's a house that's to be used, um, and you're not going to live in it, it's just like, this is solely for the Lord's use in some other manner, you don't have to pay anything because it's not going to be for that. Can I just say to you, and and I'm just going to be as honest as I can, before we moved here, and we were determined to move here debt-free, that was important for us. I mean, due to things like, you know, Things like adoption that cost extremely a great deal of money, 30000 plus. We were eleven grand in debt about six, nine months before we moved here. But some man dedicated a house to the Lord because he had next one. And he came up and said, do you know anyone that needs a place to live? And I'm like, well, we're actually kind of looking right now. And he says, well, I'd like to give it to you free of charge. Do you realize what happened? See, here's the crazy thing. What he doesn't know is he's going to stand before God someday and everything that happens here in this country through this ministry, God's going to put in his account because he dedicated a house to the Lord and that helped launch us here. Is that crazy how that works? I mean, we could think of how all those little pieces put together. Isn't it crazy? Now, let's be honest. That's a very big sacrifice to make. It's going to cost you. But not in the sight of eternity. I guarantee you, it's an investment in eternity. Well, with that in mind, he says, so what's your house about? Now, from there, then we go to business. 16 through 25. If a man dedicates a part of his field as a possession, you know how you evaluate it? By how much seed you're going to put in it. See, because it's just dirt, right? But if you know you're going to put this much seed in it, you would expect this much crop. 
So what they do is they take a look at the barrel and say, okay, that's a barrel of seed. That should bear forth about this. That's about 40 months wages. You want to dedicate it to the Lord? Great. Then you know what? You know, hey, if you're going to make bread, for instance, for feasts, you need wheat. That probably, you probably thought that one through, didn't you? Where's that wheat going to come from? It has to come from some field. Fields that are dedicated to the Lord. Now, remember, some of the fields, by the way, someone else owns it. You can only own it until the year of Jubilee. So, by the way, you can dedicate it to the Lord until Jubilee, and then it goes back to the person who owns it. If you own it and you hand it to the Lord, it's his. You don't get it back. It's his. But if you're like, you know what, I kind of need some of that field to kind of feed my family, part of my business. God's like, that's okay. Well, then here it is. Pay off that much plus 20%. Remember, backing out of a commitment costs you more. And then with that, go ahead, it's yours. God never says, I condemn you for it. He just says, I understand. He says, but you need to recognize commitment costs great and backing out's even worse. Or as it costs more. Then we get to the last of them. Verse 26 then, and notice we're almost done now. Verse 26, it's the animals, the firstborn. Remember, the firstborn was already dedicated to God. So don't play games with what already belongs to him. Let me say that again. Don't play games with what already belongs to him. When a child has already, you know, said these are the chores that are expected of them for a particular allowance, and I'm not saying this in our household because that's not the way it works in ours, so I can say that hypothetically, and then the child says, but I'll do this if you give me something. I'm like, you're already supposed to do that. When God talked about the sacrifices that were done for a Sabbath, for instance, and if that Sabbath fell on a a feast where you were going to give a sacrifice for the feast, you give a sacrifice for the Sabbath and the feast. He didn't say, well, one's enough. In other words, if it's expected of God, it's already expected. Don't play games with it. But this is what I learned from this text, and it's beautiful. If it belongs to God, he doesn't give it away. It can't be redeemed. Now listen. Ga'al. Can you say ga'al? Ga'al is the word for redemption. Ga'al, redemption, literally means to buy out. So here's the deal. David's working, but as he's working, he has this terrible um, practice with the pitches pennies on the, on the corners. And what happens is Dave got into a tremendous amount of debt, and he owes Marcia now 60 grand. It's a pretty rough thing. Marcia's pretty rough. She's a bit of a barrister. She's a solicitor, and so she knows how to play this thing. And she's like, look at David, you need to start paying this off. David can't. And as a result of that, he is now sold off to work in a minefield somewhere in East Siberia. He's paying it off bit by bit. But out of love for David, we all take a, a collection, and as we do, we pay off Marcia and Marcia. The debt is paid. We've redeemed him out of that, that house. Does that make sense? We've bought him out. We've bought him free of that commitment. Now he's set free because the debt's paid. Does that make sense? That's what Jesus did. But let me say it on the other side of it. If you've been bought into Christ, nobody... Listen, 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 listen. You are so valuable, so precious. There's only one person in the universe who can afford you, and it costs them everything. So who can afford to buy you out? And so what God says is, if it's already mine, you can't redeem it. You know why? Because you can't buy out what I owe. What I own, says God. And if you've been bought at the price of Christ, the enemy can't pay anything to get you out again. Because once you're his, Jesus that is, once you're his, you're his forever. Nobody can buy you out of it. Isn't that great news? And that's what God says. So when you're like, well, that can't be redeemed, well, it's like, no, of course it can't be redeemed because redeems, there's a good redemption and a bad redemption. The good redemption is when you're in a bad place and someone buys you out of it. A bad redemption is when you're in a good place and someone buys you out of it. So what happens is, all of a sudden, David's free, but Marcy says, you know what, I'm going to pay more money and I'm going to put David back in Siberia. It can't happen. Once you've been set free, you've been set free, beloved. It's just that simple. But right in the middle of this, there's this weird text. You notice about a guy that's under the ban? Did you notice that? And understand, what's that about? Interestingly, if the idea is, that guy is committed. But what he's committed to is destruction. And listen, as long as he is committed, you can't buy him out. That's just the way it works. So listen, though Jesus has paid the price for every human being... If that person will not accept the gift of Jesus Christ, they will not be redeemed. It's just that simple. So here's the sad part. Because there are some that say, oh, Jesus is going to send everyone to heaven. I'm like, no, he's not. 
Though his blood has paid the price of every human being, if you are under the ban, unless you refuse, unless you back out of that commitment, you are going to be committed to the destruction and pay for it. And by the way, God says, out of love, I'm going to give you the dignity of that prerogative. You have that choice. And that's why Moses says, choose life or death. That's why Joshua says, you know, choose which Lord. That's why Elijah says, now let me choose. Choose which one you want as your Lord. And that's why we're told if we're going to choose to believe in Christ, we will be redeemed. And that's the point. A man that's under the ban, we are all under the ban, but no other man can buy him out. That man needs to repent. He needs to accept the redemption of Jesus Christ and back out of the commitment that he's in. But here's the problem. Please hear me, beloved, because this is where the rubber meets the road. We don't want to go to hell, but we don't want to back out of that commitment either. Does that make sense? That's kind of like somehow you were forced into a marriage at age six. And there you are in a country like that. And that man doesn't want you and you you, you really, it's a horrible relationship. And somehow on in that, there's the right person. But you can't marry the right person while you're married to Mr. Wrong. No, I'm not endorsing divorce. But you get the idea that unless one commitment is backed out of, you can't have another. And God says you can't serve both masters. Whether that be money and God, whether that be light and darkness, you can't serve both. But my question to you is, is that what we're doing? As Christians, are we still committed to our own destruction, committed to trying to find fulfillment in the world, but still somehow trying to get out of hell from Jesus? Is that what we're trying to do? Are we actually really trying to find fulfillment everywhere, but the one for whom we were created, where fulfillment really is? And Christ wants us to make a commitment today. And that commitment is a commitment that says, God, I may not have the strength, but I want to want to follow you with everything. With everything. And if it's going to be with everything, I recognize that means means it's going to cost me people. It's going to cost me people. And it's going to cost me stuff. And it's going to affect my house. And it's going to affect my business. But if it belongs to you, it belongs to you. And that's just the way it's going to be. Are we willing to make that step? Are we willing to say, you know what, actually, I'd really like to go out and try to figure out how much fun I can have before I give it all up for heaven? Because, you know, that's what the world thinks. And we're helping them. Do we say that the world's for fun, but God's for saving? Is that what we're saying? Can I just say the celebration started the moment I gave my life to Jesus, and there's nothing this world could offer that could compare Does it make sense this is how the book ends? It's like, what happens if you don't commit? The price is high. You know what it's going to be? It's going to be two million corpses in a sandy grave because they wouldn't commit to moving forward with with God to where he promised them. So he got them out, but they wouldn't let him take them in. What about you? Is that where we're at? Hey, look, maybe that just for you is that you're at a place where you're like, you know, this is really good. And you maybe, to be honest, the moment that you got to that place, it was good. But then you hit a plateau. God's like, I want to take you farther. And you're like, no, this is good enough. Like the two and a half tribes that settled east of the Jordan. God's like, this isn't the land I wanted to give you. You're like, but it's better than I've been. God says, but it's not best. Don't you want best? Well, I want to pray. But I'll be honest with you, that would be very routine for me to do that, wouldn't it? Oh, good, we're at the point where we pray. He'll stop. Or, can I give a moment of silence first? To let God really talk to us? About people? People that maybe that's where our commitments, the problem is? We're afraid if we fully commit to Christ, we know what's going to cost us people. Stuff. We know if we're fully going to commit, we know that stuff is going to suffer. We're not going to get as much stuff, maybe, we think, maybe. Our home. Is the way we do things at home going to be the same?
our business, the way that we view success, is that going to be the same? Is that what we want? Because if it's dedicated to him, it should be dedicated to him. Don't you agree? Could we ever be wise for taking back what we've given to him? Could we ever be? Could we ever expect it not to cost us? So before we pray, I just want to start with this. Lord, you know this is me too. This isn't just them. This is never, it's never just them. You know that it's me too. As we take a moment in silence before we continue in prayer, we want this to be a dialogue. Before we continue in our part of the talking and prayer, I ask right now, Lord, for you to speak to our hearts. And I pray that it wouldn't just be that you'd show us the person or the stuff or whatever that we may lose, but rather, Lord, could you show us the other side of it? Because of that sacrifice, what fruit will be born? Can you show us that, Lord? And by the power of your Holy Spirit, put a resolve inside of us to commit as you desire. So as we take this moment in silence, we welcome you to break the silence any way you want to. Lord, according to scripture, we were bought at a price. And that price, Father, was your son, Jesus Christ. You withheld nothing. Your commitment was to death and even death on the cross. But I confess to you, our commitment could be so fair, so fair weathered, so tepid. And I ask first in intercession for forgiveness for any and all of us, Lord, where our commitment would be so cheap and yet yours cost you so much. I know there are many times, Lord, we could be governed even by our own convenience. That the greatest cost we, we, we have to pay is to get off our couch and do something. But Lord, I pray today that you make our lives elements of other people's testimony for the better. You've told us that these bodies that we possess are no longer ours. They're yours. And we're to glorify you with these bodies. Fat, thin, tall, short, whatever, it doesn't matter. They're yours. And if that already rightly belongs to you, then we should at least acknowledge that by saying, Lord, they're yours to use. Don't let us back out of that, ever. Lord, our families, they're yours to use. Our stuff, They're yours to use. Our homes. They're yours to use. Our business. Our view of success. The way we engage this world. Yours to use. Our 
Lord, please, today, as we offer you these things, overwhelm us with the reality of your pleasure. Where we could see how pleased you are at our surrender. We confess to you, we don't have the ability in and of ourselves to follow through, but you do, and you live in us. So we offer you that. And say, Lord, in our surrender now, have us. Use us. Because we are, and our lives are, yours to use. We confess Jesus. We make that choice today. And that choice is to choose life to choose you as our Lord, not just Savior, but as our Lord today. And as our Lord, we declare Jesus that you died on the cross for our sins. You were committed. And as you died for our sins, all of our penalty and punishment went with that. And we acknowledge you as our salvation. And then you rose again to offer us new life. And that we say yes to, declaring you, Jesus, as our Lord. And in declaring you as our Lord, we rightly say, our lives are yours to use. So take all of us now, Lord, we pray. And in taking all of us, Use us for your glory. Use us to change this world. Use us as agents of change, elements of transformation, that bringing us in a room will make the room better because of how you touch lives through us. Because Lord, though we may not be anything in of ourselves, you are everything and you have the power to transform, to heal and to save and to rescue from hell. You've done it with us. So now, Lord, please use us in such a way that your glory would shine so through us, that you would radiate so through us, that the world would be drawn to you now through these tools that are in your hands to be used. And if you're Lord Jesus, and you are, then we say we're yours. And in that, Lord, strengthen our commitment to let you use us to transform the world around us, even as you do within us, as we say we're yours, in Jesus, in your name. If you agree, I ask you to say, Amen.